As I mentioned earlier, we have Brother John Rogers with us. Uh, most of you know Brother John. Uh, he was my pastor over in Lubbock for a while. And uh, we're just going to ask him to come now and give to us what God has laid on his heart. Well, good morning. I'm doing pretty good for the shape I'm in. It's my wife's fault. She said, shut up. I thought she said, stand up. Um, some of you think I'm serious. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Personally, I'm still laughing about that hyena hernia. <laughs> Good thing you didn't have a gorilla hernia. He'd be out for a month. <laughs> you know, funny things happen in church. Uh, but I digress. <laughs> Let me get back to this. I had a torn rotator cuff, and so I had surgery the Friday before Christmas, and so I'm stuck in this thing, and, and of course I'm right-handed, so I get to do everything left-handed, and it's a real challenge, let me tell you. I mean, you'd think drawing a, a, a razor in a straight line is easy. Well, it is with my right hand, but I slit my throat with my left a time or two. Um, last Sunday at our church, now we have a little orchestra, and, and when they all come, it sounds pretty good. And uh, we recently lost our pianist, and so we've been uh, using various subs and things, and, and uh, uh, this lady was, uh, one of our members was supposed to play last Sunday, and uh, they called our music director at 7 that morning and said, we can't make it, our daughter's having a baby in uh, Houston, and we have got to leave right now. You know, couldn't wait till after the service. So... Uh, he called everybody on his list, you know, two-hour notice, or actually less than that, and nobody could make it. So uh, when I walked in, I brought Kaylee up there because she was going to, my daughter, she was going to play uh, timpani, and, and uh, so got her on up there. And I noticed they didn't have a pian uh, pianist, so uh, I thought, well, she just didn't hear yet because they were already rehearsing, and it sound, sounded okay, uh, but you just need that piano. So I thought, well, I'll just go hit a few chords in the gaps and, and fill it in until she gets here. And I didn't, I didn't know she wasn't coming. And, and Brother Wayne said, uh, uh, can you do that in the service? I said, you're kidding me. A one-armed piano player. <laughs> as many times as I have joked about that. <laughs> and last Sunday, I was one. And that had to be the funniest thing to say to me. Anyway, as, as much as I've joked about it to... I told everybody, you can say now you've been to a church where there was a one-armed piano player. And everybody said it sounded good. And I told them it's because I only had half as many mistakes. <laughs> so, oh me, we had a had a an older gentleman uh, join some, uh, well, sometime last year. And he's he lives by himself. And he's getting on up there. His health is declining and everything. But he's real enthusiastic. And uh, he just loves the fact that we've got an orchestra and and uh, he'd come up one day and because the pianist was so good and he well, you were just doing a really great job. He was always coming up there after the service to tell everybody what a great job they were doing. And he'd see me play drums. And one day she was gone and so I, I did play piano. And he came up after the service. He says, wow, you can play drums and piano. Do you preach too? <laughs> I started to say, well, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> Sometimes uh, people might say no. Uh, <clears throat> turn in your Bibles, if you would, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And uh, we're going to give you a, 
some things that's maybe a little bit unusual. I, I normally like to, uh, I like to take a passage and just kind of dissect it. But uh, today we're going to be a little bit different because I want to talk about the gospel and I want to talk about how we need to relate to people in this world at this present time. Uh, I think sometimes we, we fail to do that. But I'd like us to take a minute. You know, we're here, we're all dressed up. I, I can't wear coats yet, so... Oh, and by the way, let me, let me tell you this. I'm supposed to preach tonight, and I understand you have a chili cook-off. We have one at our church tonight, too. I was thinking about double dipping. Uh, but I think what I'm going to do, uh, I've got a, I think, what I think is a good sermon. You may not like it, but it's fairly short, so you can uh, get on back there, and maybe I can raid it, you know, <laughs> while y'all aren't looking in the leaf. But uh, I do have a short sermon, and we're going to talk a little bit about suffering uh, and I'll give you some examples uh, from my own life. But <laughs> anyway, it'll, it won't be long. And so it, I, I know some of you are going through some difficult times, and, and you know some people that are as well. And uh, uh, i got some good news for you <laughs> tonight. You may not see the relationship, but I, I think you will. At least you'll, you'll have a reason to, to be thankful uh, by the time the service is over tonight. So I invite you to come back for that. But since we are all dressed up, and we've come here, we might as well ask God to speak to us, don't you think? I mean, otherwise what we're doing here is, is we might as well go home or go eat or something. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, would you just right there where you are, just ask him to speak to you through uh, his word and through what, what's about to happen right now. Just do that right now. And maybe you've got a special need you need to bring before him. Why don't you do that right now too? You know somebody that's hurting, pray for them. <coughs> Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for allowing us to sing your praises to glorify you, to gather together in your presence. Lord, we pray uh, now that ask that you would speak to us through your word, through this sermon, that you'd give us just what we need, that we would uh, more effectively serve you in this world, and that we would be what you intend for us to be. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. Amen. All right, John chapter 1, let's start down in verse 29. This is John the Baptist. He's been out uh, baptizing, and he said, and at verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And I didn't. Now, and that's important, by the way, because John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. Remember, they were cousins, right? But yet... Jesus existed before him. That's, that's important. Jesus didn't just come into being when he was born in the manger. He existed prior to that. And I, Verse 31, And I did not recognize him, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John bore witness, saying, I beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him, and I did not recognize him. But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. 
and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, in today's world, in our society, uh, our society is becoming more and more atheistic. I was watching Charles Stanley last Sunday morning, and he was pointing out a lot of places where God is moving in tremendous ways around the world. And he is moving even in tremendous ways in our country. But what I see in our country is, actually I see kind of a, more and more of a polarization. And, and the hatred for Christianity is growing stronger and stronger in this country. Uh, it is the driving force in politics with some people. And don't be misled. Uh, they don't like us. And they don't like Jesus. But what I also see is Christians are becoming more and more inept about how to deal with it. We speak to people as if, as if they grew up in Sunday school and they know everything we know. In fact, one of my pet peeves in my Sunday school class gets really tired of hearing me talk about it, I think. But commercials on television by churches. There are, there are very few that have anything worthwhile to say in a television commercial. A lot of churches say this, we're what's happening, come to our church. That's the, that's the extent of their commercial. And I would just simply ask them, why do you want people to come to your church? Well, so we can get them the gospel and disciple them. And my response would be, well, you have their attention for 30 seconds or maybe one minute for a TV spot. Why don't you give them the gospel there? Instead of waiting <laughs> and hoping they'll show up because they're not going to come. <clears throat> it's, we get our focus all wrong, I think. And, uh, and we just don't, really don't know what to say. And I want to give you some things today that I think will, uh, will help you. There, there is a spirituality in our society, but it is not necessarily a, a godly spirituality. It's people following false religions, false philosophies, looking inward to find the God that is within them. And, uh, and Christians kind of, because they use kind of a similar language, we think that, they're, uh, that they believe real similar to us, and they don't. So I want to give you some things that I hope will help you share your faith. And you might want to take notes. I don't know. Uh, this might be profound. I'll say this. I didn't come up with it. So uh, uh, I, I really feel the Lord has been impressing me with these things for past uh, a number of years. And I'm trying to get it concise. I still don't have it quite narrowed down like I want, but I'm getting close. But I'm going to give you three truths and this is something you, you can use in talking to your atheist friends. And if you're an atheist here, pay attention. <laughs> okay? Number one, three, three truths. They all begin with, if God exists. Okay? Number one, if God exists, knowing that is the most, Im or, uh, knowing that is the most important thing for us. Okay? It's the most important thing we can know. God's existence, if God exists, his existence is the most important thing we can know. And not just guess at, but know. There are a lot of people that kind of guess that there's a God, but they don't really know for sure. And, and so you get into this discussion of, well, you know, that's your view of God, but my view of God is this, somebody else's view. You know, we Muslims, we Buddhists, we uh, uh, Confucius Followers, you know, we're all on the same path to the same uh, goal. No, we're not. Um, it is the most important thing we can know. 
not just guess at. And <clears throat> so that's truth number one. If he exists, see, there, the likely, there is a likelihood that we're going to run into him someday. Now, somebody would say, well, I don't really believe he exists. Well, but if he does, wouldn't you agree that that's the most important thing? Because there's the chance out there. Now, we, now, I'm not talking about what he is like at this moment, just whether or not he exists. Is he happy? Is he sad? Is he angry? Is he going to kill us? Does he even know we exist? At this point, we're just dealing with his existence. That, that's the most important thing we can know. I need to know if he exists or not. If he doesn't, then I can go ahead and live my life any way I want to. If he does exist, then I need to go on to the next step. So his existence, so you've got to hammer that home. His existence is the most important thing I can know. Well, but I think he's really a she. Well, okay, but if, if he or she exists, that's the most important thing I can know, right? Okay, right. All right that brings us to truth number two. If God exists, then he has to reveal himself to us. The universe is simply too big for us to go out and find him. We will never see a photograph beamed back from a spaceship or from a satellite that we've sent out of voyagers. And we will never see a photograph of our own Milky Way from outside of it. The distance is simply too great. If, if our solar system, you know, the orbit of Pluto, if the orbit of Pluto could fit into that little circle right there, our sun would, would be so small, you'd have to have a microscope to see it, okay? The nearest star would be 75 feet away. Now, to give you an idea, that's about from up here to the back door. The nearest star. The universe is simply too vast. That's just, you know, our Milky Way. We'll never, we'd never, it would take tens of thousands of years to get a spacecraft outside of it, and then to beam light back would take another hundred, hundreds of years. We'll never see a photograph of the Milky Way from outside of it. And that's, that's just, that's home. That's the backyard in space. If you can imagine a grain of sand and a world that big. And on that little world are little microscopic people with their little microscopic telescopes. And they're trying to look at a grain of sand in New York City to see if there's any life on that planet. That might get us through the Milky Way. That's not going to get us into the universe, really. And the Hubble telescope has shown us that no matter where you look, deep space, any, any patch of sky about the size of the moon will have thousands of galaxies way, way, way out there. There is no way we could ever search the universe to find God. If God exists, he's got to find us. He's going to have to reveal himself to us. And number three, if God exists, then it would be safe to say he has the final say in everything. 
If there really is this creator out there that, that is so huge and so powerful that he can create the universe, then chances are, if I run into him someday, I'll say, yes, sir. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> Whatever you say, sir. He's going to have the final say in everything. Okay? Now, three truths. There they are. If God exists, that's the most important thing we can know. Not just guess at, but know. Secondly, if he exists, he has to reveal himself to us. And number three, he gets the final say. No matter how we vote, he gets the final say. Now, does God exist? Here are three answers. Or, th well, say three questions and three answers. Does God exist? What does the evidence say? Let's keep it simple, okay? Kiss, keep it simple, stupid, okay? <laughs> Design suggests a designer. Random chance does not create the incredible complexities in the world that we see and in the universe. Now, just like you can take, take a patch of sky about the size of the moon and take the Hubble telescope and point in that direction and find tens of thousands of galaxies, you can take a microscope, you can take an electron scanning microscope, go down to the uh, molecular level and still find complexities that are mind-boggling. Did you know, for instance, in quantum physics, reality changes? I think I've mentioned this before. We were always taught that the electron goes around the nucleus of the, of the atom. The nucleus is made up of the protons. In reality, and this is, <laughs> this is where uh, quantum physics gets really uh, mind-boggling. In reality, the electron dematerializes here, rematerializes over here, dematerializes, rematerializes over here, dematerializes, rematerializes over here, without having actually gone in between. And, you're really not going to get this, its location around the nucleus of the atom is, depends on who's looking. Depends on the observer. Say, that doesn't make sense. You're absolutely right. But it is incredibly complex. When Darwin proposed his theory of evolution, the human cell was considered to be no more complex than a ping pong ball. We now know it is incredibly complex. We know from DNA that um, we know how incredibly complex DNA is. In fact, I, a couple of years ago, I went down to Angelo State Band Camp to get some... Uh, some summer uh, continuing develop, you know, professional development hours. Went down to band camp and took a few classes. But went around the campus, you know, my old alma mater, went over the chemistry building to see, or the science building to see a couple of professors, see if they were there. And in there they had, um, they had this big sheet of paper on, on the wall, and it was about, can you imagine, about half the size of that screen right there. And it was, it was a map of the human genome, which are the chromosome patterns and how they all fit together. All right? It was that big and that long on the wall. And I, I just really want to get one of these because it's just, you'll look at that and you'll just, it'll just blow you away. But in order for them to, to map out, and this really, it, it doesn't, it's a map. It's like, it's code for the information that's there. But it was in, uh, you know, your normal type on a computer, if you print out a piece of paper, is either a 10-point or a 12-point font, okay? 
That's the size of the letters. These letters were about a four point or a three point. They were like that. And it took that whole page to write it down. Now that's just the code for the information in your DNA. All right? To actually explain what the codes were, you'd have to have a whole lot more paper than that. All right? Now, here's the question. The DNA contains the information, but the DNA is not the information. Just like this is just paper and ink, but it is the ink is encoded into what we can understand called the alphabet. And we can mix these letters together and create words, and we can read it and understand what it is we're talking about. But the, this, is, this only contains the information. It's not really the information. It contains it on each page, okay? The DNA is the book. It contains the information. Where did the information come from? It is too incredibly complex to have just been, um, just boom, come into existence by random chance. So, back to the question, does God exist? Well, what does the evidence say? Design tells us there's a designer. It's that simple. Just take a magnifying glass out to a flower and look at it. And, you'll be, and, and ask yourself, how could random chance do that? It is too incredibly complex. There has to be a God. All right, number two. Has God revealed himself then? As a matter of fact. <laughs> yes, he has. In two ways. Number one, through, through himself. He stepped out of eternity and into time, and he split human history into B.C. and A.D. And by the way, one of the, one of the things that is uh, in the book of Daniel that is said of the Antichrist is he's, he's going to try to change the times. Well, you know what they're trying to do now. I mean, it's been going on for some time. Instead of B.C. before Christ and A.D., uh, Ando, uh, Dom, Anna's Dominoes is how I remember it, the year of our Lord. It's after Christ, right? <clears throat> they're trying to change it to B.C.E., and CE, before the common era and the common era. See, instead of Christ, they don't want Christ to have anything to do with it. Uh, that's going on around the world. But he, God has revealed himself through a person, Jesus Christ. And secondly, through his word. This Bible stands the test of time. You can take all the other religious books and they don't they don't measure up to what the Bible is. Written by 40 authors over a period, 40 plus, over a period of 15 to 1600 years in all kinds of socioeconomic conditions on three different continents in, in, uh, by kings, by paupers, by people in between, and yet it has the same theme running through it. People say, what about all the contradictions? Ask them to find one. They're just not there. Things that can be readily explained by, by simple things such as translations. Translating from one language to another. Simple little things like that. There simply aren't any. In fact, we, by, by the, art, the science called textual criticism, we can know 
We have absolute assurance of every verse in this Bible, except for 15. 15 verses. There are some questions. Did the writers mean this, or did they mean this? And all 15 of those are so minor, it's insignificant. It's no big deal. And it's all simply a matter of translating from one language to another. And I'll give you a simple illustration. Languages have their own idioms. In the Old Testament, you read, Saul went into a cave and, and covered his feet. What does that mean? Well, we would say, go to the bathroom. Now, a thousand years from now, people could read our language and say, what does it mean? Go to a room with a bath. What does that mean? And they would have to, they'd have their own idiom for it. So there's nothing major there. This is accurately the word of God. And uh, the third question then, okay, does God exist? Yes. How do we know? The evidence. Design tells us there's a designer. Has he revealed himself? Yes, through Jesus Christ and through his word, the Bible. Third question, what does he want? And that's where this comes in. Now, at this point, I've given you things that will help you, I hope, if you've listened. It, when you discuss with people, don't assume they know anything. But those are things you can start with, and you haven't really gotten to, to them making a personal, personal commitment yet. But you are giving them some things they need to consider. But this next part, what does God want? Here's where I think Christians get... Um, we get bogged down because we don't know how to start the conversation. How, if I want to share the gospel with somebody, how do I go about doing it? How do I tell them? There are a number of ways, but one thing is, is in a very non-threatening way. When you see people asking spiritual questions, you can assume God is working on them. When they're talking about spiritual things. I was in college one time. We were sitting around the snack bar and we were talking about uh, some spiritual things and somebody mentioned something about evolution. And then everybody got up and left and I was still finishing my lunch. And this girl who was at the next table came over. She said, I want to ask you some questions. She said, I heard you talking about evolution. She says, okay, why, why should I not believe that? You know, she had just heard us talking. We weren't being loud we, or, or noisy, you know, boisterous about it. We were just carrying on a little conversation. But she heard it, and when she found somebody she could talk one-on-one, -on -one, okay, tell me. So I got a chance to visit with her some and talk to her. When, when people are, are, are asking about life and its meaning, that's because God has put that in their hearts. And you can assume as a follower of God, that when, when he makes you aware, here are people asking this, he's wanting you to tell them. Okay? But if you're like me, you've been in a situation where you have been there, you have seen that, you see that they've brought up the question and you think, or, or they've said something and you know, okay, oh, this may be a moment. What do I say? What do I say? What do I say? What do I do next? Here's something that may help, plus what I'm about to give you here. Ask them this, or, just, or tell them this. Well, you know what? Sometime, when you've got about 10 or 15 minutes, if you'd like to, 
I can explain to you what the Bible is all about. And I think it'll answer a lot of your questions. So sometime when you've got 10 or 15 minutes, come see me. And let me know. And, and, and let me just kind of take you through it. And, and, and you're not saying, we've got to do this right now, buddy. You're going to get run over by a truck when you get out here. And you're going to go to hell. And that may be true. They may be about to get run over by a truck and they're going to go to hell. But God will put it in their heart to stay. And I did that one time here not too long ago, talking with a girl. And, um, and those, in fact, actually, let me just back up and give you the scenario. I had talked to her a couple of weeks before at another event, and I was too busy. I, I had to be at this place at a certain time. And, uh, and she brought up something about prayer and and a Bible, and I had to just, you know, quick little answer because I had to go. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything there. But later on, I thought, now, God, th there might have been an opportunity that I just really messed up, but what could I do? I was in. I had to, I had to go. I said, you, uh, you work it out. Well, a couple of weeks later, I run into her again, and it's, and, and it's in a situation where uh, I didn't have to be anywhere for about 40 minutes. She didn't have to be anywhere for about 40 minutes. And I, and I suddenly remember that conversation. So I just kind of threw it back out there, what, what she said. Well, that brought up something. She had another question then. I think, aha, God's in this. All right, giving me a, another chance here. Said a couple other things. And so then I told her, I said, well, I'll tell you what, when you've got 10 or 15 minutes, come see me. And let me, let me just show you what the Bible's all about. I want to talk you through it. And I really think if you, uh, if you kind of see the overall picture, it'll all start to make sense. She said, what time do you have? I said, well, I have whatever time it was. She said, she just sat down. She said, okay, ready, set, go. Said, okay, and here's what I told her. Now, I'm going to tell you this for two reasons. If you're a Christian... When I have had the chance to tell people what I'm about to tell you, I've never seen it fail. I've never seen it fail. Now, they may not be saved right then. It may be weeks, months, but I've never seen this not work. Why? Because it's a simple, clear explanation of salvation. Now, the second reason I'm telling you this is because I don't know all of you here, and I don't know if all of you are saved or not. I don't know if all of you understand and I found a lot of people grow up in church and make professions of faith but they don't really understand what salvation is all about so I'm going to let me, let me just give that here's what I told her I said this is the theme of the Bible here's what it's all about you go to the very beginning and God creates the world and everything is perfect everything was good he created this everything's good it is good it is good it is good he creates man it is good the first thing he says isn't good is Man, it's not good for man to be alone. I've got to create a helper that fits him really well. Created woman. And everything, behold, was very good. Woohoo! That's what Adam said, too. Now, but because God didn't want little robot, robots programmed, he had to give us a choice. And as long as there was the possibility, I think this is why Satan became... Satan, Because as long as there was the possibility that evil might exist, God had to let it go ahead and happen. And what he's doing it, it, down through human history, he's letting it run its course so that he can deal with it once and for all, and it'll be over with for all eternity. 
But because he didn't want little robots, he had to give man the choice. So there was that, you know, don't eat that fruit. They ate the fruit. It says, the day you eat it, you're going to die. He, ki he killed an animal instead. Now, they died spiritually, but all of a sudden they noticed they were naked. Why, why had they not noticed that before? Well, probably because one of the Psalms tells us they were clothed with the glory of God. That glory, that glory went away when they disobeyed God. And all of a sudden, whoa, something's different here. So they went and they made aprons out of fig leaves. That's where we get that thing on those statues, a little fig leaf there in strategic places. It comes from Adam and Eve. They made fig leaf aprons for themselves to cover their nakedness. By the way, our Mormon friends commemorate that. They, uh, in their secret temple ceremonies, they'll wear, wear aprons that have fig leaves on them because they say the fall was a good thing. Um, we could get into that, but we won't. They're just, they're, they're, they're misled. It, but, you know, they're sincere, and this is where you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. God rejected the fig leaf aprons that Adam and Eve made. Because that signified man trying to fix him, trying to fix himself. God clothed them with an animal skin instead. Now, where do you get an animal skin? <laughs> Off an animal. Is he dead or alive? If he's not dead, he wishes he were. All right? And there was the first, he said, he said the day you eat that, you're going to die. And then, I, I can read into this a little bit, but I think, he said, okay, here's what death looks like. They, you know, there had never been death to this point. No telling how many years they lived in this state of sinlessness. Could have been for hundreds of years. And all of a sudden, there's death. Here's what death looks like, and he kills that animal. That had to be pretty uh, horrible because all the animals were their pets at that point. And he took one of their pets and killed him and clothed them with, with that animal skin. Now, that's a symbol of something. We get on over into Exodus. God brings, you know, they're in Egypt. God brings them out of Egypt. And he gives them the law. And in the law, basically it's this. If you sin, either you have to die or an animal has to die in your place. So they bring animals to the priests to offer them as sacrifices, as substitutes. And, there, and in the Jewish calendar, one day a year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest takes this animal, places his hands on the head of the animal, confesses the sins of the people, basically saying, these are our sins, we're going to blame you, animal, for them. And he kills that animal. And he's saying, we deserve to die, this animal is dying in our place. And if he doesn't do it right, he dies because God kills him. Once a year, they have to do that. And then along comes this guy out in the Jordan River baptizing people. And he's got the religious leaders just all mixed up. What in the world's he doing? He's not following our customs. And one day, he's got a crowd, you know, he's... he's got people coming out to him watching a lot of amount of curiosity he's preaching the kingdom of heaven is right at hand it's right at the door it's almost here and then one day 
this man comes on the scene and he says, look, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now to a Jewish mind, a lamb is a sacrificial animal that they use to kill for their own sins. Okay? So Jesus, this person, is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. All they could do on the, on the Day of Atonement, you know what they were doing? They were putting off judgment for a year. They're saying, okay, have mercy on us for another year, God. But next year we've got to do it again. And the next year we'll have to do it again. And the next year we'll have to do it again. And plus all the little sins in between. We've got to bring sacrifices for those. But here is the Lamb of God. This is God's Lamb. Like that animal in the Garden of Eden. God provided this animal to cover them. Here is the Lamb that's come from God. He existed before John. And he's going to take away the sins of the world. Well, how did he do that? By dying. But then he rose from the dead to prove that he was God. And now, what's he doing now? He's on your side. And he's trying to get you to see that story through the Bible so that you too can have your sins paid for. Because we all have this problem. God became a man and he took the blame and the punishment for our sin by dying on the cross. Then he rose from the dead to prove that he was God and now he is saying, come to me. All of you who labor, who are weary, heavy laden, burdened down with guilt, with sin, with this world, come to me. I'll give you rest. That's the story of the Bible. What does God want? What God wants is for each one of us to come to him and say, God, I'm a sinner. And I need a savior. And Jesus died on the cross for me. On that basis, I beg for mercy. Would you have mercy on me, a sinner? Have you done that? Sometimes we preachers are not real clear about the gospel message. That's the gospel message. God, God became a man, died for us. And he wants us, he wants to save us. He wants to save us from our sins and the future that it holds. And he wants to adopt us into his family. But we come to him not earning, trying to earn anything, but coming to him for mercy, confessing our sins, our sinfulness, really. Saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because Jesus died for me. He took the punishment and blame for my sins. And on that basis, I ask for mercy. And then by an act of faith, you know what you do? You say, thank you for hearing and answering my prayer. That's salvation. Have you been saved? Do you, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Because he said, when that happens, he comes and takes up his abode spiritually in our spirit, in our heart, in our soul. And he walks with us from then on. 
Do you know Jesus? Do you have friends that need to know Jesus? Do you have friends that maybe God's waiting on you to give them the message? You know, the greatest gift you could give to God this year, the greatest gift you could give to your pastor, the greatest gift you could give to your church would be to win somebody to Jesus and bring them in. I don't know what we have here. I haven't counted 50-ish, somewhere in there, 50 to 60. If everybody won one, a year from now, you'd have 100, 100 to 120. And the next year, if everybody won one, you'd have 240. And the next year, in three years, you'd be running 500 people if everybody would just win one a year. The problem is we don't get burdened for them. We let them go to hell. Folks, there are people going to hell from Leveland, Texas. Do you see them the way God sees them? Well, I don't know what to say. Well, now you do. If you paid attention, <laughs> you know what to say. And it can be non-threatening. It's up to them. But there, here's what you pray. And I want to encourage you in the invitation. Some of you just need to come forward. You know why you need to step out and come forward? Because you need to forget about what anybody else said, is thinking about you or might say about you. Oh, man, if... If uh, that person, if 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 I if I go forward, those people around me are going to think I'm some terrible sinner. Who cares what they think? What does God think? And sometimes stepping out and coming down, that's that's it's symbolic, but it's symbolic of a reality. I'm putting aside what everybody else thinks, and I'm caring what God thinks. Some of you, you've been rubbing elbows with lost people for years. And you've never told them, and you don't know how. You don't know how. You don't know how to get the conversation. And 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 to be honest, God has been opening doors, and you and you didn't see it because you weren't prepared. In the invitation, I want to encourage you to come down and just pray, and ask God to prepare you, to help you have the sensitivity to see when somebody's asking questions about spiritual things, to prepare you to see that. And to give you the wisdom to know what to say. And sometimes it just starts with a question. Would you like to know what the Bible is all about? If you give me 10 or 15 minutes sometime, I, can, I, can, I think it will help you. That's, you can start with something as non-threatening as that. And take them through what I just took you through. And you'll bring them right to the cross.